0: Thanks for joining us on this week's Real Life Church podcast. We'd love to know if God is using this ministry to bless you in some way. And if you'd like to share your story or know more about getting involved at Real Life Church, you can visit us on our website at livereallife.com today. Uh, We're going to open up our Bibles today uh, up to the book of Psalm. We're continuing our our series. Come on, give our worship team a hand clap. Then they crush it it? Crushed it. Crushed it. For you older folks, that means that's a good thing, right? He cr- they crushed it. And so uh, we're continuing our series in the book of Psalms, and uh, we're looking at Psalm chapter 13 today. How many of you ever heard uh, the, the show, remember the show Fresh Prince of Bel Air? Anybody remember that song? Can you guys sing it with me? You ready? In Born and Raised. <laughs> Chilling. Chillin', Cooling. started making trouble in my neighborhood <laughs> that's funny this side dropped out all the young people are on it this side dropped out amen come on give yourselves a big hand clap for that i was uh i love fresh Air. i was watching the, um, one of the episodes and it was when will was dating this girl and he met the dad And so the dad decided to kind of test Will out and take him up into an airplane. He was a pilot, and he took him up into the airplane, and he got him way up, uh, you know, uh, 40,000 feet off the ground and started to have a conversation with Will about how the relationship was going with his daughter. Come on, dads, ain't that a good thing? And so they're up there, and he's conversating, he's like, what have you done, and all this stuff, and Will said the wrong answer. Well, the, the dad as a pilot, Will was freaking out. So the dad as a pilot took the took the airplane, turned that airplane, flipped it upside down. You can hear Woo! comes back around. Ask another question about what he'd been doing, and answered the wrong thing. And so dad does a nosedive straight, and then he flips the plane, and Woo! you can hear him. He's screaming. Finally, he does another one of those, and the engine goes out in the plane. And and Will, the, the, the dad's like, oh, no, we're in trouble. The engine went out. And Will's like, oh, yeah, man, that's real funny. Yeah, the engine went out. So Will starts to look out this window and starts to try to be funny with the dad while the dad jumps out this side of the plane. <laughs> and there's Will. He kind of looks, and he's looking around, and all of a sudden, the plane starts to nose down. And all of a sudden, you hear Will. The plane is going to the earth at an extreme rate of speed, and all of a sudden, you hear Will just yelling, help! in that moment Psalm 13 is this moment this is David David's in this moment how many know life is unpredictable Will was in this plane and it was unpredictable and he got to the point to where the one that could actually drive the plane had decided to jump and there was Will all by himself in this moment trying to figure out how he was going to live what I love about this this thing is, when you think about this as life. Like it's funny until the word help is needed. It's funny until the engine turns off and help is needed, and you feel helpless in that moment. Will felt helpless in that moment. David was sort of the same way in Psalm chapter thirteen. David kind of lived, and life is unpredictable. You know, it's you know we can go in and out, and we can do the loops and the tricks and the plane. But when things begin to mess up and the engine fails, we have to call for help, and this was David. David lived a life in Psalm chapter 13, and I gotta be honest with you. How many of you have ever read the Psalms? Like, I was reading Psalm 13, and I thought, I I started getting depressed reading Psalm 13. I wanted to shut my Bible and throw it across the desk. Because David's in this place where this is really, uh, Psalm 1 is a song of the heart. The psalm 13 is going to be more of an emotional psalm of David struggling in his life, and we all go through struggles. We all go through the ups, downs, and and the flips of life, and the engine feels like it's off, and a lot of times what happens is, is we tend to, when these things begin to happen, is we, uh, we tend to question God. We tend to question God, God, why did you allow this bad thing to happen. God, why aren't you helping me? Have you ever prayed a prayer? Because this really is what Psalm 13 is. It's a prayer of desperation. Have you ever prayed a prayer so many times where you're wondering, God, are you ever going to intervene on my behalf? Are you ever going to show up? What did I do to deserve this in my life? We start to question God in the moments where we need God the most. You know, we question things. We say, how long is this gonna go on? And finally, we just get to the point where we're just asking him to help us. And this was David in Psalm 13. You know, when we come to God in desperation prayer, when we come to God in desperation and in prayer, you are going to find him eager to listen to you. You're gonna find him eager to forgive you. You're gonna find him eager to heal you. You're gonna find him eager to transform you. You're gonna, you're gonna find him eager to step in. You're gonna find him eager to help. But there's this process of desperation that we all go through. We all experience life in different ways. We're experiencing life right now. Maybe Most of us have never experienced life at the level that we are experiencing it within our country. From inflation to light bills being off the chart to, to uh, interest rates going crazy to material costs to everything that's going on in our nation to things that, to, to things that are happening. Like our lives uh, maybe feel like they're moving in this slow pace of life and, and we have stuff that's happening. How do we navigate this? Well, the history of Psalm 13 is really, some say that this was written when King Saul was pursuing David. See, David was being pursued by King Saul. David wasn't even invited to the moment where they were going to transfer authority from one king to another. And Samuel had all these sons in 1 Samuel, and he had all these sons, and they brought them all up before the prophet, and he was going to anoint the next prophet, or the next king, and and, uh, so they brought them all in and brought seven boys in, and none of them were the boys. None of them was the next king. Well, they got to, and then finally the prophet said, do you have any more kids? Yeah, I got one more. His name's David. He's out there tending sheep on the back side of the of the of the field. And he said, call for him because he's the next king. So David comes in, they anoint David as king. He gets anointed as king. Then he goes back out and he begins to continue to tend sheep. Well, all of a sudden, David starts to get notoriety. All of a sudden, David starts, uh, Bible says that they started singing songs about, about uh, uh, Saul has killed his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. And all of a sudden, Saul starts to get jealous of David and he begins to hunt David down. And David is in a very depressing moment in his life in Psalm 13. And David is fighting off this depression and this anxiety. Listen to his words in Psalm 13. He says this in verse one, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? He says, how long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Then he says, lift up my, my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death, lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him, lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken, but I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation, I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. The beginning of this psalm, there's two observations that I see in Psalm 13. The first one is this, Pain is a real thing and can last a long time. He says in this passage three or four times, how long? How long, oh Lord, will you forget about me? You ever been there? You ever prayed a prayer or believing for something and you feel like the Lord has forgotten you? I've been there. I've been there when there's moments where you're like, the engine's off, I'm going down, helpity help. Help. And in this moment, this was David. David was living in this state of of where he was in and out of depression in Psalm 13. And in this moment, so, so we understand, he says, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? Will you hide your face from me? David is crying out to God. Here's what I love about our God is we are able to question God. Well, pastor, we should never question God. That's like saying my children have never questioned me as their father. And when they question me as their father, I don't beat them over the head and be like, how dare you ask that question? That's the dumbest question I've ever heard of. Why are you gonna ask me that question? No, that's not what we do. And that's not what God does with you. You say, pastor, it's okay to question? Absolutely. God can handle all of our questions. God can handle the how longs or how long am I going to be in this? Is this going to be forever that I feel this way? When will this break in my life? And this is what we have to understand in Psalm 13 is that David is crying out to God and he feels as if God is playing this eternal game of hide and seek with him. You guys ever like playing hide and seek? Playing hide and seek as a kid, you know, you would hide and somebody would seek. (laughs) That's why they call it hide and seek. Welcome to church, it's that simple. But it was like God was playing this hide, you know, he's like, God, how long, how long? And it's if God is hiding behind the curtain, playing hide and seek, and in any moment, he's gonna go, boop, and the answer's there. That's not how God plays this game. God is not ignoring you. But I believe majority of the time, the reason it takes a while it's not because God is struggling to get the answer to you, it's that God is working something in you. Let me say it again. It's not that God is struggling to get the answer to you or to bring you through the situation, but there's something in you God is working out. There's something of Egypt, oh, I'm out of Egypt, but Egypt's not out of me. Like I'm dealing with this process of of laying down my flesh and my desires and my ambitions and, and, and all of those things to the plan of God. And so I believe David was in this moment, literally, I believe David, as I started to study this, was misinterpreting what God was doing. I believe that he took it inwardly. I believe he took offense to God in this moment. That God, why are you having Saul try to take me out? Why are you having my enemies take me out and then you're not answering me when I say come, destroy my enemies? I believe David was misinterpreting what God was doing. That in his pain and through his pain, this literally resulted in David living in a state of depression that the pain that he was experiencing was a real thing and it lasts a long time. And this resulted in his place and state of depression because he was misinterpreting that, that God was not, he was misinterpreting that God was trying to work something in him, that God was trying to bring some desperation out of him, that he was pushing him to seek him more, but instead he took it personal. And when he took it personal as if God was not for him, all of a sudden it resulted in a state of depression. David's depression is found in verses one and two. See, anxiety and depression today affects 40 million American adults today. Some of you in this room deal with anxiety and depression. You can relate to David in this moment. Maybe you're watching online today and you fight anxiety and depression in your life that you can relate to David in this moment, that we all deal with these certain things, but listen, here's what's, here's what's, that nearly one in 10 teenagers struggle with it. Nearly one in 10 teenagers deal and struggle with depression and anxiety. Those numbers have risen since quarantine. They're off the chart percentage-wise. And you think, oh, well, everybody I see has a smile on. They're smiling on the outside but they're broken on the inside. There are people, that means if there's 40 million Americans, that means you're working with somebody at your work that fights depression and anxiety. But see, what we have to understand in this moment is that God was not leaving David. God had not forgotten David. And let me encourage you today, if you're dealing in this realm, if this really dark place called depression and anxiety, God has not forgotten you. God has not left you. God God has not turned his face against you. God is a God that is going to come through. There's a desperation call that's gonna come out of your heart and he's going to answer your desperation. See, I believe all it takes is a word or a specific place to trigger your emotions. You ever been to Walmart? I don't mean Walmart itself triggers emotion. Some people it does. But if you're going through Walmart and all of a sudden a certain song comes on or certain music you listen to, you're driving down the highway and all of a sudden that song comes on and you're like, man, I'm saved, sanctified, Holy Ghost filled, blood washed, but that song comes on, you can remember where you were and what you were doing. No, pastor, I've been forgiven and it's all forgotten. You lie, you fry. I can guarantee if I started playing some music right now, Some of you'd be like, you try to act sanctified, then you remember what it was like to be in the club during that time? You remember what party you were at? You remember what you were doing in that moment? Because all it takes is one little thing to all of a sudden a word or a song or a specific place to trigger emotions and you find yourself in a place that you thought you had forgot, that you had moved on from, and this is what this psalm is talking of that we find ourselves in motions and moments where this pain has a center of gravity. What is it? How, How many of you have ever been up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom and you stubbed your pinky toe on the side of the bed? Or you hit your pinky toe on the dresser? How many know everything within your body is focused on your pinky toe? You walk by it, you hit it, and all of a sudden you're like, son of God, amen, thank you, hallelujah, quit lying, you don't say that. You're like, son of a mother. (laughs) It hurts, all attention goes to the pinky toe. Why, because pain is a magnet. It's the same way in our life and in our heart. Psalm 13 is trying to describe to you and tell you that when you live with pain for a very long time, your attention is on the thing that hurts. You can't see the good in the moment or in life because you're too focused on the pain in the moment. And this is what David was experiencing. Number two is this, pain in life will always drive us to something. It will always drive us to something. Psalm 13 says it this way, consider and answer me, O Lord my God, light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. At least my enemies say I have prevailed over him. At least my foes rejoice because I am shaken. Listen, when you are in the midst of pain, where do you go? Some people in the midst of pain push to things and pleasures that try to numb the pain. Some of you are like, I don't do illicit drugs to numb the pain. No, but you do have a problem with ice cream. Amen, come on somebody. (laughs) You know what I'm talking about. I'm there, I've been there where I'm just like, I'm feeling, I'm living this Psalm 13 moment. God, are you gonna come in and and you're gonna change my life? You're gonna do something? What are you gonna do? And I'm starting to feel depressed and I'm like, you know what? Cookies and cream, amen. It doesn't work. But we always run to something in the middle of pain. It drives us to something. David shows us that in the midst of his pain, the something that he drives himself towards is God himself, Though in the moment it feels like David is losing control, the engine has went out on the plane, David all of a sudden begins to turn his heart in desperation, in prayer towards the God that he really knows. And all of a sudden his heart begins to turn and we must allow our pain to to, to drive us to Jesus. You know, I love Psalm 13.3. In the Passion Translation, it says this, take a three through like five. It says, take a good look at me, Yahweh my God, and answer me. Breathe your life into my spirit. Listen to David. He went from how long? To here's his prayer of desperation. He allowed his pain to drive him into the right place. He didn't just focus on his pinky toe having a problem. He didn't just focus on Saul chasing him down. He didn't focus on the depression. He didn't focus on the length of the answer. He started to turn his desperation cry into prayer. And listen to what he says. He says this. He says, breathe your life into my spirit. Bring light to my eyes in this pitch black darkness or I will sleep the sleep of death. In other words, it's over. Don't let my enemy proclaim I prevailed over him, for all my adversaries will celebrate when I fall. I have always trusted in your kindness. So answer me. I will spin in a circle of joy when your salvation lifts me up. I will sing my song of joy to you, Yahweh, for all in this you have strengthened my soul. My enemies say that I have no savior, but I know that I have one in you. Even in the middle of his depression, like, she, like Robin said, we had students that went to, to Impact Camp that did not have a relationship with Christ. But in the middle of their pain, in the middle of their searching, in the middle of their wondering, somehow they found themselves in a place where they're directing a prayer, a searching moment to their Heavenly Father, to the one that created them. And this is what David was doing in this moment. He, was, he is pleading with God, on all things. He is pleading with God. I don't see his prayer as disrespectful. I see his prayer as a prayer of desperation. God can handle our honesty, folks. God can handle our transparent moments. He created the heavens and the earth. You can be open and honest with him. He created the heavens and the earth. He can handle your little life. He flung the stars into the sky. It says the waters of the world is in the palm of his hand. Have you ever tried to look across the ocean how far that goes? Listen to me, it says the Bible says that the waters of the world are in his hands. In other words, he can take care of you. He can, he can heal you. He can transform you. He can bring you into your place of destiny that he has for your life. He's that big. He's that good. See, and this is what God, God can handle our honesty. Listen, Jesus was straight up with God, his father in the garden. He wasn't piddle paddling around and being disrespectful. He was like, hey, here's the deal. I know it's coming. Any way to get out of it. That's what it, this, the, kind of the message Bible version. He's like, can I just get out of this? Like, do I have to walk through this pain that's about to happen? Do I have to experience the cross and the beating that I experienced? And what does Hebrews say? For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross Despising the shame that he was buried into a tomb and resurrected. Why does it say it was joyful for him? Yet he was questioning in the moment. Jesus was without sin. Therefore, questioning is not about sin. Questioning is about surrender. See, because when you question, there's going to be another will that's going to be activated. And in this moment, Jesus says this words. He says, Hey, all right, you ain't saying nothing. Nevertheless, it's your will. I'm going to move forward. And for the joy set before him, do you realize that the garden was the hinge on the door to your salvation? That if he was to quit and those legions of angels came and took him out of there, we wouldn't be able to experience the salvation that we experience here on the earth if Jesus would have been taken out of the plan. In other words, in his moment, as his moment of honesty, He surrendered to the plan of God. So how do we move from despair to trust? I'm gonna give you three quick things. How do we move from despair to trust? Number one, we have to understand that God's love is never changing. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what you've been through. It doesn't matter if the first part of Psalm 13 is you right now. How long, God? How long? how long will you answer me? That doesn't matter. You have to understand that no matter what your moment is in your life, that God's love is never changing. David says, I have trusted in your steadfast love. The word love in that moment is the word "hesed." It's God's covenantal love for his people. In this moment, David is pointing back to 2 Samuel 7. He's going back to 2 Samuel 7 with God makes the covenant with David. When God makes a covenant with David and he promises David, he says that an offspring from his house will be forever a king of a forever throne. In other words, he's talking about Jesus. That Jesus is from the lineage of David is how it's put. Is that he's in the genealogy of David. That God is making a promise that says if you would just keep going, David, if you would keep going, the savior of the world is gonna be birthed through your lineage. But if you quit, what will happen in that moment? 2 Samuel 7, he starts to describe what takes place. See, what I understand about trust is trust is not an emotion. If we're going to trust in God's love, moving us from despair to trust, trust is not an emotion. See, trust is always necessary. Here's what trust is. If you trust in someone, you have confidence in them. You have a reliance and a dependability upon them. You can depend on them. If I hand you my keys today, some of you, and I say, here, drive my car for a week, take care of it, clean it out, wash it, make sure it's good to go, all that sort of stuff, I trust some of you. Some of you, not so much. I've seen your car, I've seen your McDonald's wrappers. Come on, somebody. (laughs) the point is that I have confidence I can rely on you to take care of it why because most of you it's because I have a relationship with you that I trust you and if I have a relationship with you I can trust you the only people that struggle to trust God are the ones that are disconnected in relationship to God when you're disconnected from God in relationship there will be no trust and confidence because who you spend the most time with is who you trust the most Who you spend the most time with is who you trust the most. So we trust God's love is never changing. Number two is this. If we're gonna move from despair to trust, we have to trust that God's salvation is sure. See, God's covenant with you is not a weak covenant. It's not up and down covenant. It's a covenant that has been established with the blood of Jesus. See, it it is a sure thing. When you say yes to Jesus Christ, God's not trying to wonder if he can save you. God's not wondering, well, man, they sure are chief of sinners over there. You've seen how much sinning they've been doing. Holy ghost, you're not here. You're down there. Jesus, wrong way anyway. He's on the right hand. Depends where you're sitting. And so Jesus, he looks at Jesus and said, you think we can handle this? You think, you know, all that sin they got, you think we can handle this? You think God can't handle? <laughs> Holy cow. Shut her down, y'all. We're leaving. <laughs> Thank you, Lord god's salvation is sure okay point number three <laughs> he's just letting you know it's sure number three is god's goodness knows no limits psalm 13 6 says i will sing to the lord because he has dealt bountifully with me listen this word bountifully just simply means because he is good to me i will sing to the lord because he is good to me David saying in the first three verses that he's not good but in the last three verses, he's saying, God, you're good. In other words, there's a shift, there's a change. When you go from depression to desperation in prayer, there's always transformation. And that's what happens in Psalm 13. Is all oh, we can question God in the moment, but when we go to him in desperation prayer, and we say, I will sing because you are good to me. I will sing because you saved me. I will sing because I can look back over my life and see the faithfulness of God. The word bountifully means this, God has rewarded or compensated David with something that he didn't deserve in the first place. It means this, it means to bestow a benefit from pure grace. Do you realize that you can do nothing to deserve or earn? The grace of God in your life, that's what grace is. Grace is unmerited favor. It is something that you can't work yourself into. See, this moment, he says that you, you are good to me. You have bestowed a blessing upon me that I didn't deserve. You mean I can tell God in the moment that I can can go from how long are you gonna, the, the, the engine's out to God. I need you in my life. You're a good God, and you're faithful. Regardless of what I'm feeling right now, regardless of the pain, the problems, and the issues, you're good. Your mercy endures forever. You placed upon me a bountiful presence. You've given me a bountiful thing called grace. You put something very precious in my life. You mean I can go that quick? to that moment? Absolutely. David is the testimony of that. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., and I'll close with this. In his speech in Montgomery, Alabama in 1965, when asked the question, how long? How long about what? It was in the face of racial injustice. Listen to what he says. He says, how long? Not long, because no lie can live forever. How long? Not long, because you will still reap what you sow. This is Dr. Martin Luther don't, he, don't no, he don't hold nothing back. Then he says, how long? Not long, because the arm of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice. He says, he says how long? Not long, because mine eyes have seen the glory of the Lord trampling out the vintage where the grapes of wrath are stored. He has loosed the faithful lightning of his terrible swift sword. his truth is marching on. Dr. Martin Luther King was asked how long. His truth is still marching on in the life of his church today. I don't care what society says and I don't care about church haters. Here's what I know, is that Jesus gave his life for the church. It's his bride. And when you mess with a bride of Christ, you mess with Jesus himself. Mess with Jennifer, my wife, and see what happens to you. I'm not kidding. Like I've only been saved so long. 1994, I think somebody had to tell me. (laughs) 20 something years. But I ain't too far removed from the back of the woodshed that I wouldn't take you out there if you mess with my wife. I love her, I'll lay my life down for her, no matter what it is. And when you mess with the church, you're messing with Jesus himself. When you mess with the church, the one that he bled and died for, that that he wants to come back for, for without spot or wrinkle, hey, we got a lot of wrinkles, but God's working out the wrinkles in his church. God's working some things out in his church like he did here in Psalm 13 with David. His truth is still marching on in his church. And here's the question, and as, as you ask the question in your own life, I'll take Martin, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr's speech and I'll switch it. Not long, not long at all, because the same God who started a work in you has promised he will finish it. Hear me, church? Not long, not long at all, because I consider these present sufferings not even worth comparing to the weight of glory that will be revealed in us. Not long, church, not long at all, because justice will roll down like the waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. How long, church? Not long at all, church, because even though we run from him, he runs after us with a never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. How long, church? Not long at all. Because even though I see death reign on this earth today, even though the violence is at the highest level it's ever been, I know that my redeemer lives and we will and he will stand up on this earth forever. How long, how long, church? Look to Christ and you have your answer. Look to him suffering on the cross for you. Look to him going into the grave for you. Look to him trampling on the serpent's head for you. Look to him rising from the dead for you, and you will hear the answer to your question, how long? God will say, not long at all. Today, each and every one of us have Psalm 13 moments. And David says this, he's determined to believe in his life, even in the midst of his mess, that he's continuing to believe that God's love is never changing. His salvation is sure, and his goodness knows no limits. Let's close our eyes and bow our heads this morning. As you reflect on your moment today, as you reflect on your life, maybe you're going through a Psalm 13 moment, Maybe you're experiencing Psalm 13 and you need God today. You need, you're need. you at that place where you've questioned and now you're at the desperation moment where it's time to give it to him. And how long will it be till the answer? Not long at all. Some of you have been believing God for things for 20-something years. Can I encourage you today? Keep going because it's not long. It's not too far off till the answer comes. But in the meantime do what David did. Turn that desperation upward and tell him how good he is. Stay in that place where your focus is upon him and not upon the things of this earth. If in this room today you say, pastor, I need to make a decision to say yes to Christ. Maybe you've walked away from God. You need to come home. It's really simple. We're going to pray a prayer. And when we do, I believe God's going to save you right there in the moment because his salvation is sure. It's not something he's going to try to do. It's something he's going to do in the moment. All of us across this room as we sit here and examine our lives, let's pray this prayer together. Say this with me, say, Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your son Jesus to die on the cross for me, to raise from the dead for me. I ask you to come into my heart, make me a new creature. Old things pass away and all things become new. I believe and I trust in you, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Somebody in this room said yes to Christ. Somebody watching online has said yes to Jesus today. But I want to pray for you, church. Before I turn it over to James, James is going to come close our service out in just a moment. He's going to give you a few announcements and he's going to take up our offering. But before he comes, I want to pray for you, church. I know we're working out some wrinkles. And I know Psalm 13, some of you are in that moment, but I want you to know today, he's faithful and he's going to come through for you. He's gonna come through for you no matter what your request may be. Some of you have been believing God for your loved ones to come to know Jesus for a very long time. Can I tell you, don't be weary in well-doing because in due season, you're gonna, you're gonna reap. Let's allow God to work out the wrinkles in us. And if you're going through a Psalm 13 moment, we're just gonna pray. I'm not gonna ask you to raise your hand. This is a private moment for you. Just close your eyes right where you're at. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for all those that are going through a Psalm 13 moment. Thank you, Father, by the power of the Holy Spirit that as we read your word, that you give us plans and purposes, that God, in the middle of our desperation, we can turn our praise towards you. Thank you, Lord, for for you bring about a revelation of of the things that you're working out in us because you wanna do something through us. And Lord, we pray just as as we read, how long, not too long, because you're working something out in us. You will perform the purpose and calling that you've done and created us for. So Father, I pray for each person in this room that may be fighting depression and anxiety in this moment. In this world, there's been pain that's been lingering for a very long time today. I pray lift up your heads. And see the King of Glory. Lift up your heads, and see the Mighty One of Israel. Raise up your head, and get your get your attention off of the pain, and put your attention on the promise. And when you put your attention on the promise, the promise will be fulfilled in your life, because the One that made you the promise will not lie to you. He will not leave you, nor will He forsake you. Take your pain, take your uh, vision, take your perspective off the pain, and put it on the promise, and watch the promise be fulfilled in your life. And so I declare that and decree it over every person in this room. And I say from this day forward that you'll no longer walk in depression and anxiety, but the presence of the Holy Spirit will come fill your heart, fill your life, and fill your purpose in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise the Lord. Come on, give the Lord a big hand clap today, everybody. Thanks again for listening to our podcast. Be sure to connect with us on social media, the RLC app, and online at LiveRealLife.com.